You be glorified in us, Jesus. Move our hearts in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to our first week in a new series, like Kingdom Come. And, uh, you know, I just want to kind of give you a thought exercise as we start this out. And this is kind of going to be one of those, those things that I want you to keep in mind as we go through the series. Um, what would it be like if everything, um, what would it be like if uh, what God wanted to happen through your life and in, your, in our church, uh, what would our neighborhood be like? What would it be like if everything that God wishes would happen, would happen? And, and you know, it's amazing to think about what that could be. And that's really the challenge that Jesus gives us in scriptures. That he, he calls us and he wants us to bring what's God's will, God's desire to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what would the world be like if everybody did that and lived that out? But another way to put that and another way to think about that is also, what would the world be like if nobody was doing that? It would be an awful, terrible place as well. And sometimes we don't recognize and realize how much impact and how much like uh, profound change is going on as a result of people taking up Christ's call and saying, I will make Christ's kingdom come in very ordinary ways. So that will, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, uh, bringing the kingdom to earth. Jesus's way of life. Jesus's like pictures that he gives us about what life should be like. It's always interesting when you read through the stories of Jesus' life, how confused people always are. Because he's always talking about things that are like, what are you talking about? That is nothing what, the, uh, what this life is about. It's nothing like that. He comes and he does his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. He says things like this and people kind of looking at him like, what are you talking about? That's not true. The people who are really blessed are the aggressive, right? Are the people who take control, who do all these other things, who sometimes oppress others. That's how the world works. That's how the kingdoms of the world work. And Jesus shows up and he uses this language and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. That's what he says in John chapter 18. And he says, my kingdom is different than everybody else's kingdom." My agenda is different. The way that I do things is completely and totally sometimes counterintuitive. But if you want to follow the way of God, this is what my kingdom is like. And what Jesus has to do over and over and over, because it's so odd and counterintuitive, is tell stories over and over about the kingdom of God, because sometimes it's even hard to conceptualize it. Because we live in this world. And we live in this place. And we know what this world is like and what the kingdoms of this world are like. But what's fascinating to see is when Jesus was on earth, the Roman Empire ruled. It was the biggest and baddest empire of all time at that point in time in history. And Jesus showed up and he says, this is what the real kingdom is like. 
And amazingly enough, it's Christ's kingdom that endures now. And the Roman Empire and all other empires that have come and gone, that, have, that, that are gone and have passed away and are just filling history books and that's it. And Christ's kingdom endures. And so Jesus paints a different picture that all of us need to really think about and really contemplate because it's hard to grasp when we're living in this world. We see this world and it's almost like a tale of two worlds. It's hard to see it. It's like, you know, kind of almost hearing Jesus tell about these stories that seem so foreign and so odd that he tells us over and over in the scriptures more and more stories so we can get a little picture of what it's supposed to be. And so that is what we're going to be looking at. Today, if you turn with me in Matthew chapter 13, there are three stories that we're going to look at that will introduce this series. And this is the language Jesus uses often when he's telling them things. He's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells stories. And so there's three of them that are really quick stories that will give us an introduction on what he's talking about today. So Matthew 13, 24 through 33 says this. Then Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. So that's the first story, and we're going to jump into the other ones real quick here. But just that picture of... The harvest is planted, and then weeds are intentionally put out there while the man is sleeping at night, and it grows up, and there's a mixture of weeds and wheat. Continuing on in verse 31, he says this right after. He says this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. Here's the third one. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. All right, so three stories, and I was struggling a little bit this week because I thought, you know, he says them kind of in uh, sequence, and I didn't know exactly why Jesus did that. The first one seems to stand apart from the other, other two, but the more I read it and the more I thought about it, I realized that they really go together. And so we're going to kind of talk about what Jesus was trying to explain with these pictures, these little images of the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, the first story is kind of an explanation of what we're talking about. The, the duality of this world. The reality that there is a long-standing problem from the beginning of time that continues on to this day. That there is so much hypocrisy in the world. Including people who profess to follow Jesus Christ. And he's talking about these two worlds. And he's kind of giving us this picture of, you know, the reality of life. He's saying, look at these, this is the world that we live in. Of course, the kingdom of heaven is something that is, that, you know, there's good seed that grows up and it produces a harvest. And Jesus actually had just finished telling him another story about the, about, about good seed that if it's, if it's manicured right and if it's taken care of right, it can produce an incredible harvest. Just one seed can produce like a lot. And he's talking about these things, but then he gives people a realistic view of the world. And that's what the Bible always does. Is it tells us what the truth is, even sometimes when it's difficult to hear. Is it says that this is the reality of the world. Yes, you may sow this good stuff and you may even be living a life that you're trying to focus on God. You're, you're on the straight path. You're tr- trying to follow the narrow way, so to speak, as Jesus puts it. And what happens a lot of times is there's all this discord. There's all these problems. There's all these things that get mixed in. And this, this happens all the time. And I think Jesus is also specifically talking about the church and the reality of the church. Is that there's all of this fighting and sometimes there's division and sometimes there's arguments and there's these things that creep in. And the first reaction we'd have is rip it all out. This is like, this is, how, how can we live in this world? And Jesus is painting a picture and he's saying, This is going to be a part of the reality that you're going to face. And this is the truth of the matter, is that there is always going to be in this lifetime the mixture of these good positive influences and the negative ones. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be strife. There's going to be these things that rise up amongst you. And it's talking about an enemy that's sowing this. And it's really alluding to uh, the devil. It's alluding to evil. It's alluding to these things that are kind of mixed in that are trying to pull apart what God is seeking to do in this world. And there's so many times, and this is what I think makes everyone like almost throw up their hands in the air and say, I don't want, how are we going to follow this God? The kingdom of heaven, we're going to bring heaven to earth. How are we going to do any of this? Have you seen this mess? And that's, that's what we all struggle with. And there's this back and forth of like, you know what? I, I, don't, I think it kind of feels hopeless, doesn't it? Why do I even keep, keep trying to do this? This world is a mess. And maybe even there's this inner turmoil personally where we're struggling back and forth and we're like, what in the world? And so this is the reality that like, like what we face right now. This is the reality of the world that we're in is that there's the mixture and the struggle and there's the good, but there's also the bad. And a lot of times they grow up together. And some of the pictures Jesus uses is some stuff that maybe in our time and era we don't fully grasp. But he's talking about a very specific uh, weed that um, is I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to say it. But this specific weed, that, that it grows up, and in the first couple of weeks as it's growing, it looks identical to wheat. But then after a while, you can see 
that it's actually a weed. And what happens is there's a fungus that is associated with this weed, and that fungus can produce uh, a, poison, a poison. And so if you ate it, it would be poisonous. They're trying to grow food that you know, will take care of people, and you have a poison mixed in. So think about that language. He's saying there's a poison right in the middle of what's supposed to sustain you and feed you. What do you do? And this is the dilemma we all face, right? And he's saying there will be a day. There will be a time where it is sorted out. There will be a time where there is kind of, there is that judgment day. There will be a time where, you know what? There will be an end to evil. But at this point in time, this is a reality that you have to deal with. And so the point of it is, are you going to give up? Are you going to just like quit? Are you going to stop doing what is good as a result of this? Or are you going to persevere? And this is where the second parable kind of co- coincides with the first. Is, he's, is Jesus immediately follows by explaining this principle of the mustard seed and the principle of the yeast. That is kind of the same point repeated. Is is the second and third story is talking about the small seed of the mustard seed. I remember when I was a little kid and my Sunday school teacher uh, brought in this little, this little necklace and it had a mustard seed on it. And it was like a little thing and it had like a little almost uh, magnifying glass so you could see it on one side. And on the other side, you could see how small it was. It's just a tiny, tiny little seed. Anybody ever seen a mustard seed before? Really small little seed. And she brought it in and was like, this is what Jesus was talking about. He's like, look at the smallest seed. And in that culture, this was the smallest seed that they regularly use. One of the smaller seeds in the world. And Jesus is particularly looking at that and pointing to it and saying, look at this tiny seed. It seems so insignificant. But planting that and over time, we realize this, over time, it can grow into something. I've also had the opportunity this year to, uh, to be the sponsor of the Vista Peak Exploratory 4-H Club. Okay? That is a terrifying thought. Okay? I am a city kid. I uh, do not plant things, build things, or whatever. I, uh, I don't. Okay? Um, we go to the grocery store for our food. Um, and so that is what we do. Uh, me and my wife have a long history of getting plants given to us as gifts and us immediately killing them. We have a long history of that. So kind of how I view plants is kind of like, well, that's going to give us about, buy us about six months because we're definitely going to kill that thing. And so I kind of view it as a very temporary thing. But I am sponsoring this year this 4-H club, and we are doing some gardening. And this has been an interesting exercise. It's one of those things where, you know, I'm like, all right, kids, we're going to learn this together, okay? Because I don't know what I'm talking about. And so as we're kind of going along, we're planting these little seeds, and we have this, this, this tower, this indoor garden, where it kind of can grow up, and then uh, later on you can replant it outside. And so we're starting all of this stuff. And it's so fun with the kids is they plant it, and then the next day they're like in there, they're like looking at it, like poking in and, and touching it. And they're like, hey, is it ready yet? No, it takes a little bit of time. And the kids were going through a list and they were saying, what kind of stuff would you like to grow in our garden? And they're like, pineapples. 
was like, that might be a little unrealistic for uh, what we can do in the next couple of months. Okay, avocados. And all these kids are shouting out stuff like this. They're like, how about apples? I'm like, those take a little bit of time. We could work on that, but you'd have to come back when you're in high school. And maybe, uh, maybe we'll get an apple from an apple tree if we plant it now. But, but that's kind of the reaction that we have a lot of times, right? And we show up to churches and we show up to places like this and we want to just say, all right, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here we go. Snap. Let's make it happen right here, right now. But the reality is it takes time. And so that small plant that is planted takes some time to grow. And you know, Jesus... Jesus makes a little reference here that, that this might be reading a little bit between the lines, but some theologians have said that it's quite possible that Jesus was making a specific reference when he talked about the birds perching on the branches. Many of the rabbis in that day, the Jewish rabbis, would talk about the Gentiles in kind of a dismissive, derogatory way and would call them the birds. They'd say, the Gentiles, the birds, that's what they would call them. The people who are not Jewish. And Jesus says, there's a seed that could be planted that even the birds could perch on one day. There's something that could grow up that maybe even the Gentiles could stand on someday. And something amazing could happen. And how profoundly, whether he was making reference to that or not, how profoundly true was that? To the people he was talking about. A small group of people that said, okay, I'm going to plant this seed right now. I'm going to follow what you say. And later on, uh, the church explodes all throughout the world. But it takes years and years for that tree to be able to have birds perch upon it. And this is the picture that Jesus says. He says another story over to kind of reiterate his point. And he says, you know, it's just like yeast in bread. It's just like somebody putting that and burying that yeast inside the bread. And then over time, um, that bread can, of course, expand and become something uh, much bigger. And, you know, specifically the original language uh, of what Jesus says is he says that it's hidden. The yeast is almost hidden inside the bread and so it grows and maybe Jesus was making a reference to the fact that sometimes it's not even 100% apparent what is going on beneath the surface but eventually over time it makes an impact sometimes you can't even recognize what is making the change because that yeast is buried in the bread but you realize that about a bushel of flour which is said here can make about a hundred loaves of bread because of the yeast. And that's the reference that he's making over and over. It's kind of a slow trickle. It's a daily choice. It's, it's kind of that little small steps that usher in something bigger and bigger and bigger. So many times I think that we struggle with these two kind of parallel worlds. God's kingdom come. Well, there's weeds all over and there's all this stuff. And is it really making an impact? My little act of faith. But the reality is, is so many times we have a limited understanding about what is really going on. 
Um, I've come across some pictures like this before, but here's a couple of pictures that sometimes re- that represent uh, sometimes a misunderstanding. Here's a, a picture right here. You guys see that? That's a picture of a dog in a snowstorm. Can you see the dog? Okay. Almost invisible, but it's a picture of a dog. But because of what's going on in the background, you can barely see it. Okay. Here's another picture. Uh, that is a little uh, monument there that looks like a smokestack. It's actually a cloud. And you can see, you know, uh, the unique picture. Another one. Uh, this is an interesting picture. <laughs> Let me just say, that woman does not have a foot attached to the end of her arm, okay? But sometimes we misinterpret the picture. Here's another one. All right, strong woman. Do you see? Her arms are down. Okay, it's not her. Uh, next one. Giant, uh, what are those, pigeons? Are those pigeons? It's all a matter of perspective, right? It's not like a horror movie or anything like that. So many times we have, is there any more? So many times we have a picture that is limited. So many times we have an angle that we're looking at and we're saying, This is what's going on, and how come it's not making a difference? Where you do not know what is going on beneath the scenes that may be making an incredible impact. When we started today, I asked the question, you know, what would the world be like if everyone just, all the people who are Christians, lived out the principle of your kingdom come? Well, sometimes we don't recognize and realize what is going on. If you go to the ends of the earth, to some of the remote places in the world, you'll find faithful Christian people serving, uh, serving the poor, taking care of people's needs, helping and praying and encouraging people along. You can go to any remote neighborhood around this country, and there's little churches that are making an impact in their little corner of the world. There's people that are you know, reaching out to one another, calling on people, praying for people. Making a contact with somebody else. Uh, Helping people in multiple ways. Christian people down throughout the years have started hospitals. Have started orphanages. Have started all kinds of programs that make an incredible impact. And so many times we look from our limited perspective and we look around and we say, God, what would this world be like if people just listened to what you had to say? And we forget and we miss that there is yeast that is in that bread. Those seeds are growing. But sometimes that's not the, the headline news. And that's not what's catching everybody's attention. And that's not what maybe consumes us. And it's easy for us to get trapped into thinking that the whole world is just full of weeds and that's all there is. And to get totally and completely focused on that. And the reality is, is that is moving and is working and is something that has moved and worked in your life, whether you are aware of it or not. And it is something that moves and works in your life when you embrace it and you do those small steps of faith. So many times we want to think, think about everything just changing immediately. But if our perspective, if we just looked at what Jesus was saying, 
do that small act of faith and see what happens. And it's possible that something emerges that is incredibly transforming and profound that you don't even see in your lifetime. That's very possible. I think back to my own life story and history about some of the people that shaped my life. Did I know that my great-grandmother, who uh, made it well into her 90s and passed away when I was a teenager, was, was somebody that kind of focused and changed the trajectory of our family when she made a commitment to saying, we're going to be a part of a, of a church, and we're going to go, and we're going to engage, and we're going to do these things. She took my grandfather to church. And he regularly was a part of uh, a small little church that is a part of our denomination. And actually the first church service that ever happened in that small little church in a small town in South Dakota was my grandfather's wedding. That was the first event that happened in that building. My father grew up in that church and that, that legacy continued. And, and it was passed down to me. It's interesting how if you look at it from generations of people making a decision to say, we're going to be faithful and I'm going to like kind of make this decision to be faithful. It has effects on people generations later and on my own kids that never met great grandma. But it's an incredible thing that sometimes we don't grasp or see that Jesus is pointing to is that you may not fully realize or recognize what's going on, but those little seeds of faith make a difference. They make an impact. And something is going on that is not of this world. There's a kingdom that is not of this world that is going on all over. And you don't vote for that kingdom, and you don't have boundaries for that kingdom. It's a kingdom that goes all over the world and is, in a way, hidden and secret in a way. But it's always going behind the scenes. But it's really what this world is all about. One of the most profound stories in all of church history is somebody who took a little small step of faith. There was a man in the, in the fourth century who was actually a slave. He was captured as a slave as a teen. And he was... He was uh, in, imprisoned, and he found a way at some point to escape. And he ran away from his captors, and he went back to his homeland. And later on in life, he was, he was you know, kind of a troubled youth and was, uh, had all kinds of different issues in his life. But he found a relationship with Jesus, and he changed his life and transformed his life. There was some point in time in his life where he recognized and realized what God was doing. And he answered a really difficult call to live out God's kingdom here on earth. And he made a decision to go back to the place where he was enslaved and tell all those people who were awful and brutal to him about Jesus. Watch this story about his life. St. Patrick was born, not in Ireland, but in Britain, around A.D. 35. Well, actually, he wasn't called St. Patrick in the time, or even Patrick, but was referred to as Maywin Sukkot. Good thing he changed his name later. St. Maywin's Day just doesn't have the same ring. We'll stick with Patrick, just in case I'm slaughtering that pronunciation. 
Patrick was quite far from being a saint growing up. Until he was 16, he considered himself a pagan, or maybe even an atheist by today's definition. It was at that age when he was taken into slavery by a group of Irish marauders that attacked his village. Patrick was sold to his master, a druid chief in Ireland, and served him for six years. It was during his captivity that he became a Christian. One day he heard what he described as a voice compelling him in his sleep to leave his master and find a ship that awaited him. He fled to the coast of Ireland and eventually made it back to his home. He then decided to study in the monastery and stayed there for 12 years, during which he decided that his calling was to convert the pagans to Christianity. Eventually, he adopted his Christian name, Patricius, or Patrick as we now know it, and returned to Ireland after being appointed a bishop. Patrick was very successful at winning converts, which upset the Celtic Druids, who had him arrested several times, but he managed to escape each arrest. Patrick traveled through Ireland, establishing monasteries, schools, and churches throughout the land. Eventually, Patrick returned to where he had once been a slave, to pay his ransom to his former master. Despite being treated cruelly, Patrick didn't hold a grudge against him. As Patrick approached his master's old homestead, to his horror, he saw that it was in flames. Patrick found out that the stories people told about him had preceded him, and in a fit of frenzy, his old master gathered all of his treasures into his mansion, set them on fire, and then threw himself into the flames. An ancient record adds that his pride could not endure the thought of being vanquished by his former slave. There are a lot of legends surrounding St. Patrick. Some say that he raised people from the dead. Others say that he drove snakes out of Ireland, but since there aren't any fossil records of snakes in Ireland at that time, it's highly unlikely, unless he drove out the fossils as well. Many think that snakes was a metaphor for the conversion of the pagans, meaning that he drove paganism out from Ireland. Green wasn't the original color associated with St. Patrick, it was first blue. It eventually changed for various reasons probably because of being used in various Irish flags and how green is associated with Ireland itself. Patrick worked in Ireland for 30 years. Afterwards, he retired and then died on March 17th in AD 461. There wasn't a canonization process when Patrick died. That didn't come up until the 12th century. He would have been declared a saint by acclamation and his sainthood approved by a local bishop soon after he died. St. Patrick's Day was originally a Catholic holiday, and still is, but has also evolved into a secular holiday, being celebrated by non-Irish, non-Catholics, and ironically enough, even atheists. Today, when people think of St. Patrick, they imagine a leprechaun in a green jacket, a pipe, clover, and a pot of gold. Not a man who devoted 30 years of his life to teaching and helping the Irish. Hopefully you now know a little more about the history of St. Patrick. There is a typo in that. Uh, he wasn't born in... 36 AD. He didn't live 400 years. Uh, it was like 360 something AD. Okay, but incredible story, and it's a what a wonderful picture of the duality or the hypocrisy of our world in some ways. That now, kind of what we know about St. Patrick's Day is, hey, where we should uh, we should go and drink green beer and wear a green shirt so you don't get pinched, right? And it's a way that over time people have kind of just celebrated and remembered the history of, of, a, of a nation or a country. But beneath the surface, in that bread, there's some yeast that did something that was profound. Do you see what happened is that is the story. And there's, of course, people are not going to talk about that. You're not going to hear stories about who this person of faith was today. But we know our kingdom is not of this world. And the stories that are important to us are not necessarily the stories that everybody else is going to talk about today. 
Our stories are going to be the ones of people making a, an effort to say, I'm going to take a step of faith to make an impact in my world where I live. I know there's weeds all around, but Christ has called me to be that mustard seed, to be that yeast. Will you pray with me? God, we're so thankful for the chance to gather with friends, to eat, to fellowship, to get to know one another better. God, I pray among us that we would have a little bit of a different picture than the rest of the world. That our conversation would be seasoned with salt, as you say. That our lives and our kingdom would not be of this world. That beneath the surface, our actions and our motivations would not be what everybody else's are like. But instead that we would recognize and realize that even in this world full of poisonous weeds... (laughs) The people who take those small steps of faith, people who do those little things day in and day out, the people who respond and say, I will do everything I can to make thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right here. That when we do that, things change. so God, help us to recognize this picture you're trying to paint for us. Help us to be encouraged and not give up. Help us to just wake up every day with a little bit of a different perspective from everyone else and and move forward one step at a time in faith. God, may your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. We believe what you say, that small acts of faith grow into something way bigger than we could ever imagine. So right now, as you continue to pray, I want you to focus your thoughts on maybe somebody in your small circle of influence. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. Where maybe they need an encouraging word. Maybe they need you to lift them up in prayer. Maybe you need to uh, connect and go Get a cup of coffee with somebody, or maybe you need to write a little thank you note. What is a small step of faith or act of faith that you could do this week to sow seeds of faith in a troubled world? What's one small little act that you could you could do this very week? 
that could make an impact on somebody else. I invite you to think about that. Think about maybe the faces of people that may need your encouragement and pray for them right now. And commit to God that you're going to be a person that lives out Christ's kingdom in this world.